right. Philippians chapter 1. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we are looking at a letter that was written by a man um, a long, long time ago. Uh, but this wasn't just any old man. This was a servant of God. This was an apostle, the Apostle Paul. And uh, he was writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, in this, this new church age uh, where God was giving new revelation uh, and the canon of the New Testament was uh, in the process of being made. And so all the promises that applied in the Old Testament, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, now applied to, to the New Testament writers like Peter and Paul and John, uh, they understood that they were communicating God's revelation. And eventually it would be uh, put together in what we call the canon of Scripture, and we would have our New Testament. And so uh, these men uh, did not have a Bible other than their Old Testament. Uh, they were not preaching from the Scriptures. They were preaching the message of Jesus Christ that had been taught to them. And, uh, and now we get to read what God wrote through Paul to these believers. Now the interesting thing, I want to remind you, is that these people were newly saved. I mean, they, you know, the church had started 11 years before Paul wrote this letter. And so when you talk about people that are no older in the Lord than 11 years old, spiritually, you know, they were definitely babes in Christ. And so Paul was writing to them and communicating things and things that would apply to us today, especially in some of the basic things. So let's set the scene. We're now done. Remember up to verse 11 was the salutation. And now we begin to move into the meat of Paul's letter. And the first thing he does is he addresses his own circumstances. Now, you may remember me saying that the believers in Philippi, on various occasions, uh, over the next 11 years from when Paul went in there and preached to them and started the church and people got saved when their church was established, from that time until now, Paul was traveling all over the place preaching the gospel. He'd finish up his second missionary journey, then he'd venture out on his third missionary journey, and, and as he was doing all this, they were sending him gifts. Now, Paul was a tent maker by trade. And when he was in certain places, he would not accept any offerings from them. Primarily, we're thinking of Thessalonica, because they had some issues when it came to finances and their, their economy that Paul had to deal with. And so he purposefully uh, worked and labored while he was in Thessalonica because he didn't want to be chargeable to them. But on other occasions, Paul felt no compulsion to, you know, he, God's people wanted to take care of the servant of God, just like we're talking about Pastor Connor. And so he would receive the gifts. So he received several gifts from the church in Philippi. And they had just sent another gift. He mentions it in chapter 4 of this text. We'll get to that eventually. Because Paul was under house arrest, he was being imprisoned, limited. It was kind of like our modern day of wearing an ankle bracelet, you know. Uh, they didn't have trackers, but, he, you know, he could not leave the house. So he could not work. And so he had some needs. 
And the Philippians sent a very large gift for which he praised the Lord for later on. So they knew of Paul's circumstance. They, they found out by mouth. Remember, they didn't have texting, they didn't have internet, they didn't have Wi-Fi or cell phones. But they found out that Paul was in prison. And apparently, it concerned them. Here's this great man of God who's a servant of God, doing God's will. In fact, you could, if you talk to the Philippians, they would say, this is the guy that led me to the Lord. This is the guy that, you know, my sins are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did. Now, Paul did not save them, right? But Paul was the vessel to preach the gospel, and so they had an overwhelming gratitude for him. And now he's in prison? He's, he's being restricted from preaching the gospel? This obviously affected them. Because in their mind, Paul's serving a good God. He's doing God's work. Why would God allow this man to be put in prison where he can't preach the gospel? And so Paul deals with that. And he gives them a basic lesson in life regarding circumstances. You know, circumstances don't always quote-unquote, go our way, do they? Sometimes circumstances are unfavorable. And we think, okay, in fact, we would say there's something wrong. I mean, is it not unfavorable circumstances where we get people to pray for us? You know? I mean, how many times have you asked, would you please pray for me? Everything's going awesome. Every need is met. I've never been happy. Please, I need your prayer. Usually when we say, pray for me, there's something wrong. There's circumstances that are coming against us. There's things happening that we did not pray for. And, and, and they're adverse, unfavorable circumstances. And certainly, a servant of God, doing God's bidding by preaching the gospel... Being arrested is not a good thing. And so Paul is going to communicate to them. And so we're going to talk today about unfavorable events. Because if they haven't happened to you yet, they will. And, And we're all laughing, especially as old people, because we know. It happened, Serena, I'm sorry to offend you. I wasn't even referring to you, Serena, you young whippersnapper. So the challenge then is we all have unfavorable things happen, don't we? So what about that? Well, Paul talks about that. And now here's the, here we're going to look at the outline, uh, verse 12 through 14. First, we're going to look at what I will call random things. And Paul's imprisonment is what we would normally look at as Christians Uh, as an unfavorable, look what happened. This is not a good thing. We weren't praying for this. So, you know, we're going to look at random things that can happen to us that are unfavorable. Then we're going to look at the design behind them. Here's what's important. You and I need to realize, just like the Apostle Paul did, God is in charge. And... Paul would write to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. Remember verse 28? And we know that all things work together for good 
to the, them that are called, to them that love God, and to them that are called according to His purpose. That is not a blanket statement that any anybody can claim. It's God promises to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. In other words, those that are have a relationship with God. God promises. He doesn't promise all things are good. Sometimes people will mistake Romans 8, 28. Say, wait, I thought God said only good things were going to happen to me. It doesn't say that. But it does say that God will work all things together for good. So the bad things, at least if you're a child of God, the bad things always have a good design. And that's exactly what Paul saw. And then, so we have random things, then we have the design behind them, and then we have the focus maintained. Paul was being an example in how he viewed his own circumstances. And he was encouraging the believers in Philippi. No doubt they were being, no doubt they were dismayed. Maybe they were perplexed by the things that were happening to Paul. How could God allow this to happen? Wouldn't God protect his servants that are preaching the gospel? And and so some of them, no doubt, to this day, Christians often struggle when bad things happen to good people. Quote, unquote. That's a phrase that's being used. But may I remind you in that, there really are no good people. In other words, we're all sinners. Correct? So let's jump in and look at verse 12. Random things. Paul says, But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather, let's stop right there, the things which happened unto me, things that come upon us. And obviously the the implication is unfavorable things because of the way this whole sentence uh, is worded, and we're going to look at the ending of it later. He's, he's saying, the things that have happened unto me, and he's implying that, these are bad things. I know they're bad things. I know you may be wondering why this is happening to me, but I want you to understand. And then he moves on. But let's stop it right now, because we all have things which happen to us. They seem to be random. They are definitely not things that we would immediately attribute to God, like I said. Who prays that their car is going to break down tomorrow? Who prays that they're going to have an injury or something is going to happen to them? Who prays for that? We don't pray for the bad stuff, do we? No. But yet, bad stuff happens to us because we live in a fallen world. So is it just that, you know, the divine clockmaker that God started this world, maybe he originally intended it good, but he wound it up, and lets it go on its own way, and now we're all up to ourselves. And when bad things happen, there's no God orchestrating anything. That's what some people believe. Paul didn't believe that. Now, Paul knew his imprisonment was not going to be viewed like a blessing to the Philippians. And so he's, he's addressing that. Listen, I know. I know some bad things have happened. I know some of these things that have happened unto me, I know they're not good. And that's the implication of the first part of verse 12. Circumstances. 
what's going on around you. By the way, that's what circumstances are. The word circumstance uh, comes from a, a phrase, the same root word for circumference. Think of what circumference is. Circumstances are what's going on around us. That which stands around or surrounds us. It's our surroundings. It's our environment. It's, it's what's happening in your life. And, and a lot of these things appear to be random. A lot of these things, especially when they are hurtful, painful, we would call them unfortunate sometimes, seem to have no meaning. And they can get us downright discouraged. They can get us downright frustrated. They can get us downright dismayed, disillusioned, angry at God. If there was no purpose or no plan behind them, we would wake up and pray for a good day. And if the day unfolded without any problems and we were able to meet our needs and and good things happened to us, we would praise the Lord. But if we woke up one day and things didn't fall our way and we weren't able to make ends meet and things went wrong, we would look right up to God and say, what happened? And I would remind you of a, a truth that uh, was preached here and that our, my pastor preached from 2 Corinthians 4. You don't need to turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 uh, Dr. Griffith would say, and point this out, I love this verse. Paul said, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. I want you to remember what God says. God says, he doesn't say things happen to us. He says things happen for us. All things are for your sake. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a divine power that God Almighty is in control of the affairs of man, especially you? Do you believe that God never moves without purpose or plan when he allows those unfavorable things into your life? Because Paul did. And I know it's true. We don't feel it but we have to fall back on it. Things do not happen to us. Sometimes that means we need to change our mentality because we act like things happen to us, don't we? Like, oh my goodness, look, what's why why is this happening to me? And we have to back up and say, wait a minute, God says all things are for you. There's a big difference between to and for. And let's remember, it's kind of like when you say, You know, you're preaching at me. You're talking at me instead of talking to me. And there's a big difference there. God does not throw things at people. God allows things. All things are for your sakes. Was it last Sunday night? Sometime recently, um, we looked at the fact that with Job, that God had a hedge of protection And God would only allow certain things to happen to him. It was all in his control. He would never allow anything to happen if he didn't have a good intention for it. So right now, whatever's going on in your life, I want you to realize it's not happening to you. There is an almighty God, a sovereign God, that is allowing random things 
by design for your benefit, ultimately. All things work together for good. There's a book in the Old Testament, two books actually. Believe this, there's two books in the Bible that never mention God. Say, what? There's books in the Bible that don't mention God? There is. Song of Solomon is one. And then the other one is the book of Esther. And uh, it is in a secular setting, political environment. And uh, you've got Esther, you've got uh, her uncle Mordecai. And if you remember, there was a wicked plot against the Jews. Now, you and I know that the Jews were God's people. And that was it was through the Jewish lineage that a Savior, a Messiah, was going to be born. Jesus Christ. And we see that God was orchestrating things even in a pagan environment, in a pagan nation with an ungodly king, God was still orchestrating things to advance his purposes. And there was a plot, an evil plot, to do the Jews harm by Haman. You remember, remember Haman? He had this amazing plot, uh, and it looked like things were falling into place for his evil intentions, his devices, to use the Bible term. And all of a sudden, God brought it to the attention of Mordecai, who was the uncle of Esther, who was now the queen. Amazing circumstances just all seem to be happenstance. In fact, if you look at the book of Esther from a distance, you don't see God anywhere. It's just random events happening. But you know what? God was very much involved in everything. And when God raised up Esther to be the queen, she was the only one that could have intervened and saved the entire Jewish people. And Mordecai knew that. And so when Mordecai made a plea to his niece, he said this. This is in Esther 4.14. He's talking to his niece about her. You need to make an appeal. Somebody's got to speak up about this evil plot or the Jews are going to die. And here's what he said to Esther. He said, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, if you don't say anything, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He was so convinced that there was a God behind the scenes preserving the Jewish people so that a Messiah could be born. And he's, he's like, Esther, if you don't do it, God's going to raise up someone and he said, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And then he made this statement. I love this statement. He said, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? What did Mordecai say? Esther, who knows? You may have been born. This, may be, this whole thing may be because you were meant to deliver the people, the Jews. Who knows? Sometimes that's our response. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows why this is happening? Who knows why this happened to me? I want to tell you who knows. The God of heaven knows. And he, he has allowed it. Mordecai was right on target. Who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? It's like God saying, I know, and I'm causing it to happen. And he'd say the same thing for us. Folks, next time you are dismayed, by circumstances that randomly seem to just happen to you and they're not good, 
They're not things you pray for. Don't, don't forget. Things don't happen to us. Things happen for us. And what even the devil or some human being may mean for evil, God means for good. Many, many years ago, long time ago, in a high school, ooh, and then there was light. In a, in a high school far away, about 40 miles down the road, in a, in a junior class, world cultures class, a young girl stood up in the class when the teacher had snuck out, and she made an announcement. It was just a random thing. The teacher snuck out. She said, I got this opportunity. And she made an announcement to all the students in that world cultures class. She said, everybody, I found out that the local spa on Saturday morning is going to open up for a couple hours and any of us can go for free. She made that little announcement. Mr. Chappelle walked back in the room and, and Danny King sat down and we all went on our merry way. I think back to that time often. A lot of people in that classroom. I would imagine when Danny stood up and made that announcement that some people weren't paying attention. You know, kids talk, teachers out of the room, this is our chance to talk. I imagine some people didn't hear it. I imagine some people, I'm sure, some people heard it, and maybe they thought, well, I got plans on Saturday. I can't go Saturday, so it doesn't apply to me. Maybe some people weren't into exercising and going to the spa. They said, oh, that's so nice. Last thing I want to do is go to the spa. But there was a young guy there who was very into lifting and working out. And back then, a spa membership was not 10 to 20 bucks like some of these local places. It was big time. And that young man saw that as a golden opportunity. He had never heard a free, a gym opening up for free. That's unheard of. And he went and he worked out. And he was excited until the manager comes up, this buff power lifter, and invites them to stay after to come every Saturday for a free workout and to stay after for a Bible study. And that young man was not happy because he thought he was going to get a free workout. Two hours using the, all the, the, the spa, the weights, the, the pool, the eucalyptus room, I mean, all that stuff. And then there was a catch. You got to sit through a boring Bible study for 15 minutes. And you know what? That young man decided, hey, two-hour workout, 15 minutes, little devotional, I can do it. And so he went every Saturday. And during that 15 minutes, by the way, the 15 minutes turned into an hour, but he heard the gospel. And he ended up getting saved. And now he's telling you about that. But I want to tell you something. You know, that was a random thing. I imagine, you know, I'm sure there were many people there that didn't even hear that announcement from Danny. I praise God for Danny King. And I don't know how she heard about that, but she heard it, made that announcement, and it would forever change my life. Because I heard the gospel, I got saved, and here I am. But you know what? God was in charge. God was orchestrating things. God knew and so what we tend to think is just random things happening. Certain things grab our attention. Certain things don't. Please understand, there is a sovereign, omnipotent God 
working all things according to the counsel of his own will. He is working in your life, even if you don't see him working in your life. He's involved. And if you're a child of God, if you're not a child of God, he's working to bring you to the foot of the cross to be saved. If you are a child of God, he is working in your life to glorify himself. So let's look at the design behind them. Paul says, again, verse 12, I would, you, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, the things that occurred to me, the, the random things, the unfavorable things of me being in prison, of me being restricted from preaching the gospel, have, look what he says, fallen out rather. See that word rather that tells us that he's changing tunes here. He's talking about something very bad, and he's going to tell us how God turned it into something very good. Imprisonment, bad. Imprisonment for not doing anything wrong but preaching the gospel, bad. But you know what? Something good came out of it. Again, the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather. And he's using this terms like, look what came of this. Look what happened. It was like he wasn't expecting it. They've fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. It's amazing when you realize that you're not the one pulling the strings. You're not the one orchestrating your life. And we need to be remembered of that. Sometimes we kind of take control. Like, God, I got this. I'm going to pull this. I'm going to, you know, we start pulling the strings and, and God says, snip, 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 snip. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do some things to you. I want you to go back now. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 45. Genesis chapter 45. See, because here's, here's the point. You need to believe what I'm talking about, about God in charge. You need to believe it as a presupposition. In other words, you need to be so convinced of it before things start going wrong. So that when things don't go as you want, you are able to fall back and realize there is a God in charge who wouldn't allow this to happen if he didn't have a purpose for it. And there is a man that did that. Had no idea why these things were happening. And he had one bad thing after another. And I'm not talking about Job. I'm talking about Joseph. Joseph had one unfortunate experience after another. His brothers tried to kill him. One brother intervened. He ended up getting sold into slavery. He ended up being falsely accused of, of immorality. I mean, so many things went wrong. He ended up in prison. But God orchestrated it all. And when he finally had the tables turned, and he was able to look back, on the people that had done him wrong. By the way, that's, it's very easy for us to get bitter at people when they cause heartaches and frustrations in our life. They're the problem. They're, but remember, what did Paul say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. So David, now, or David Joseph, rather, the tables have turned. And the really bad guys in this story... Joseph's brothers are now basically kneeling before him, one of the most powerful men in Egypt. 
and they realize who he is, they realize what they've done, and they basically say in the Hebrew it means, uh-oh. No, it doesn't mean that in Hebrew. But that's basically what they're saying. And he says, look at now Joseph. This is Joseph sharing with them. He says, you are dead. No, he doesn't say that. Look what he says, verse 6. He says, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be uh, earring, uh, there shall neither be earring nor harvest. Look at verse 7 now. This was his attitude. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, verse 8, it was not you that sent me hither. Uh, Joseph, did you forget who betrayed you? Did you forget who created a scheme to make it look like wild animals had killed you and told your dad that you were killed? Did you forget who did that? No, he didn't forget. He just knew what I'm talking about. It was as if he understood 2 Corinthians 4.15, that things don't happen to us, things happen for us. So now, verse 8, it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. That is an amazing thing that our God does. Now, I want you to go back to Philippians 4, because here's, what, here's where Paul parks. And by the way, where you park is going to determine how you respond. It's going to, return, it's going to determine what your mental state is going to be. Because if you park, if, if Joseph had parked on the offense, he'd be mulling over the conversations when they were plotting to kill him. He would be mulling over how they so callously sold him into slavery by a passing group of people. He would have mulled that over and over, and he would have been, I submit to you, the most bitter, one of the most bitter people in all the world. Because there's a lot of people like that. They, they just mull over, they park at the bad stuff. Paul could have been no different. Paul could have sat there in a jail cell saying, God, I preached your gospel, and look what it got me. Look what's happened. I'm in prison for, for doing your will. I'm suffering for it. He didn't. He didn't park there. Here's where he parked. Look at verse 13. Again, verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things that happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that by my bonds, his, his chains, imprisonment in Christ, are manifest in all the palace. The word palace there is a very interesting term, and it's, it's, um, it's literally the word praetorium. And because of that, uh, and the interpretation of that, he's, he's basically talking not so much about the, the well, palace, which in Rome would have been called something different, but he was talking about the activity of the guards. And apparently what he was talking about was the guards... And all the talk and all the palace among the guards is the gospel. So I wish you should understand, things which have happened to me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
It's amazing. That's where Paul's parking. Where do you need to park in your mind? What have you been meditating on? Have you been getting yourself all worked up? It's easy, isn't it? Thinking on the wrong thing. Getting all anxious. Getting all worried. Getting all mad. Getting all angry. Because we're parking. We're meditating. We're thinking about the evil circumstances. The things that were uh, unfavorable. Instead of what God is trying to do and bring about good. It's almost like Paul was looking for it. Like, wow, I'm in prison. All right, God, what do you got for me here? That's the way we need to be. Many of you know that this last year has been a challenge uh, for my family, the Lion family. Um, January started off as just any other previous year started off. And uh, this would be the year, in fact, this past week would have been my dad's 90th birthday. We were looking forward to celebrating my dad was going to be 90. I mean, that's awesome. I'm almost that old. It feels like it. And then in January, uh, my sisters were visiting, and my dad started slurring his speech and, and, and wobbling a little bit. And Mary's mom had just had a stroke, I believe, the previous year, and so that's on our mind. And he's got all the telltale signs of a stroke. I remember my sister calling up, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And uh, we said, you know, dad could be having a stroke. And uh, my dad just wanted to be with my mom and stay at his home and die there no matter what. He loved my mom. He, was, he, he didn't want to go to the hospital. He didn't, hate, he didn't like hospitals. Anybody like hospitals? He'll tell Olive that's different. <laughs> so, uh, so she called nine one one. The ambulance came, and my dad was furious. And they did some scans. They found a tumor. Many of you know the story that um, my dad was given. We were given the option once they found a. Um, it was a, uh, you know, a pretty aggressive tumor. A high-grade glioma, glioblastoma, that's just bad news. And with no surgery, they said he would have four to five months to live. With surgery, he might have 12 to 15 months to live. That was the decision my dad had to make. That's not a decision anyone wants to make. And my dad was so brave, he said, let's, let's fight it. So they did the surgery, and then it became so apparent that he was just, he just wanted to be with my mom. And if he had to do the follow-up radiation and all, it would have taken him away from my mom. And so we all opted that, that that would be it. They operated on February 2nd to remove the tumor. As May unfolded, and, and May, here, here was the event that was supposed to be a, and, and should have and could have been a very beautiful event. My niece was going to get married in May. And... My niece, my sister's daughter, uh, she's the one that was my parents' power of attorney. She's the one that bore the responsibility for my parents, the decisions to be made. It was all on her. And her daughter was getting married on, in May. She's going to get married May 26th. And they were going to do it down. It was one of them location weddings. But it was just in South Carolina. It wasn't like it was in another country. And so 
As the wedding got closer, my dad started to decline in health. And then we thought, oh, we did not want my dad to pass right before the wedding. That would have been so hard on my sister, her family. And so we started to pray. And we knew my dad's time was limited, and we just prayed, God, please, we just want the wedding. Let let my niece, let my sister have this day. It's a very special day. And my dad held off until the next day. But what I couldn't tell you is that when we all gathered, all the family gathered, that weekend, the day of the wedding, I believe it was. Mary, you correct me if I'm wrong. Was it the day of the wedding that we got the news? The day before? When was it? Before that. It was that week. Uh, Bridget. Yeah, we were. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wrote it down. I thought it was all. Okay. So the, it was the day before, if I wrote it right. Um, we were all sitting, you know, we, we got a motel, the family, we got all together. And the next day was going to be the wedding. And we found out that we were expecting a grandchild, my first grandchild. I've never had a grandchild before. And this would be my first grandchild. Folks, that's that's pretty good news. I mean, if, if I honestly, because we got started late with kids, the whole kid thing, I thought, you know what, I'm just so grateful to have kids. I got to I got to have four awesome kids, and I've gotten to know them now as adults and have fellowship with them. They're like these, they're no longer little babies changing the diaper. They're now these adults that talk with deep voices and have opinions and all that. How awesome is that? And you know what? If I died tomorrow, I have been so blessed. So blessed. And I, so I wasn't, this wasn't even on my radar that I was going to get to experience being a grandfather. But then my daughter was so mean. She said, you cannot tell anyone. What? You know, I wanted to post it on Facebook. I mean, I want the whole world to know. We had the wedding, and then my dad died. But you know what? And it was, it was a hard time. And then my mom would pass six weeks later, and she was in relatively good health. But I knew there was this news underneath that though I lost my dad, we were going to be seeing a little grandchild born into the world. And I want to tell you that, that was God. That was God. So God. I mean, and, but I couldn't tell anyone. I could not tell anyone for months. But I knew. And every time I think about my dad passing, I thought, but you know what? God is blessing us with another life. And by the way, it's going to be a boy. Pretty cool, huh? You know, it's amazing. But I've come to realize that, you know what? God's in charge. And he knew that in light of what would be my darkest hour, six weeks, folks, my parents were awesome. My parents were married for 68 years, and they loved one another to pieces. And, and I have three other siblings, two sisters and a brother, and we've all got strong marriages because we have had a rock-solid example. My dad almost said still. He was holding my mom's hand up to their last walk together. Just so precious. I love holding my honey's hand. 
I had a good example. Man, I hope you're holding your honey's hands. But you know what? I know that God, there is a good God behind the scenes working things together so that things do not happen to me. Things happen for me. And we've got to be looking for the goodness of God in every trial. Whether it's opportunities to preach the gospel like Paul got, God is definitely working all things together for good, for his glory in your life. If you're a child of God and you're committed to just walking with him. So we can take hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's so easy to go over these things in our mind. We know these things are true. Uh, Sometimes when we're tested with them, uh, we sometimes forget and we think that things are happening to us. We forget that there is a loving, omnipotent, sovereign God working things together for his glory and for our good. And that, Father, you are indeed a good God. And help us to learn from the Apostle Paul. Help us to learn, Father, that these adverse circumstances, which no one prayed for, uh, ended up being used of you in ways that Paul could have never imagined. So, Father, help us to let you just be God. Help us to let you control our lives and that we would realize and, and, and just fall back on the fact that you are a good God. May we be rock solid on that commitment. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.